You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We'll be in two places tonight, but we'll begin in Acts chapter 6. As we consider together as a church family, what does the Bible say about deacons? And this is not a question submitted on a card. This is a question I threw in there because uh, next Sunday uh, we'll be nominating uh, some, some deacons for our church as those who are rotating off need to be replaced with those who are rotating on. And as uh, I've mentioned, the task of nominating deacons and selecting who is qualified uh, to, to, to serve in that role is decided by you, the church members. Uh, this is not something that I as a pastor select. I don't just get to pick my favorite people and put them in there. Uh, this, is, this is those who are, sorry Mike, I know, you're shaking your head over there. Um, <laughs> Uh, that this is something that the, the church members uh, choose. And in order to do that, you as church members need to know what is a deacon, what do they do, and what are their qualifications. And so we're going to examine that together so that this week I ask that you prayerfully consider who in the church should serve as a deacon. So we're just going to go through those questions. First of all, what is the office of a deacon? The office of a deacon has become a much more confusing thing than it needs to be. In many churches, in fact, the office of the deacon has become something it was never meant to be. We cannot appoint something to the office of deacon if we're not clear on what the role entails. And so I want to begin by perhaps highlighting some of the wrong understandings of what a deacon is, uh, and then take it from there. Perhaps the most common idea that I've seen in my experience is that deacons comprise a separate but equal branch of church government. Uh, providing checks and balances to the pastors. In many, in many cases, churches end up being deacon-run, and the pastors answer to a board of deacons. As one author I read jokingly puts it, welcome to our church, where the pastors say things and the deacons run things. That's often the case in churches. The deacons keep the pastor in check, keep him humble. And actually, this approach is probably influenced more by our familiarity with the representative government model than scripture. Right? We have, we have co-equal branches of government, and uh, they check and balance one another. And you just don't see that model in Scripture. That's not how the Bible sets it up. Sometimes, here's another wrong understanding, deacons are simply those who know how to fix things, are good with finances, are maybe perhaps have a background in corporate America. Uh, while those skills can prove useful and helpful in areas of service, they cannot be a determining qualification for a deacon. So as you consider, you're not, you should not be asking, well, who's, who, could, who could mow my yard really well? Okay? If that is what you're thinking of, that is not the right understanding of a deacon. If these were so important, if these were determining qualifications, why did, those, why did not those qualifications make the list in 1 Timothy 3? They do not. And along those lines, this also means we shouldn't view our deacons as simply your handyman or your financial advisor. Often, while deacons are usually those who are eager and ready to help and serve in those areas, they also are men with families and jobs and a different task that we'll see in a moment, uh, tasked specifically to the de deacon. And we could go on and on with wrong understandings of what a deacon is, but let's move to the correct understanding. What is a deacon? And in fact, it's quite simple because it's in the name itself. You know, there's a couple of words in Scripture that unfortunately were transliterated instead of translated. Do you know the difference between transliterated and translated? Transliterated is when you take a, the, the original word in the original language and you 
make an English form of that word instead of translating it into the English understanding. For example, uh, baptism. Baptism is a transliteration. It comes from the Greek word baptizo. So baptism is not a real English word. It's an Englishified word, you could say. And it means to dip or to immerse. You know, a lot of confusion about models of baptism and modes of baptism would go away if we had just translated that Greek word instead of transliterated that Greek word. And another word like this is the word deacon. It comes from the Greek word diakonos. Again, deacon is just an Englishified word which means servant. So if we had translated all the Greek words of 1 Timothy 3.8 into English, it would read, servants likewise must be dignified. So when the Bible is mentioning the official role, our English Bibles will transliterate, but when the Bible is mentioning the normal service of the church, our English Bibles will translate into the word service. And so what is a deacon? He is a servant. In fact, diakonos is a word that characterizes what every believer should be doing in the church. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus tells his disciples, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your diakonos, your servant. Listen to this verse, Ephesians 4.12. This is the passage where it talks about how he gives leaders to the church who are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know what that word ministry is? It's diakonos. To equip the saints for the work of serving, for the building up of the body of Christ. Every Christian should be a deacon in the sense that every Christian should be serving one another in the church. And so what distinguishes the office of a deacon from the normal service of a church member? And I believe it's this. A deacon is an exemplary servant. The office of deacon is summed up as an exemplary servant. While Christians serve, no one serves like a deacon. While the pastor is an overseer, a deacon is a servant. And while there's been much confusion, practically speaking, about what pastors do, what deacons do, the clarity is right in the name. Pastors lead, deacons serve, and the congregation chooses both. A deacon is an exemplary servant. Well, what do deacons do? And for this, I do want you to, to look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We see in Acts chapter 6 the appointing of these exemplary servants where an emergency situation necessitates the appointment of exemplary servants to meet a need. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, complaint by the, Hellen the, the, the Grecians or the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, when they had pleased the, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, I did not practice these names ahead of time, and Parmenas, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch, made it through. And, they, and these set 
These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What do we see in the passage here before us? What is the setting? Well, the setting is that the church is growing rapidly. You see that in verse one? In these days, the disciples were increasing in number. So God is working in this early church. But as the disciples are increasing in number, what do we find? A complaint arose. Let's look a little bit about this complaint. This complaint comes from the Hellenists. Well, who are the Hellenists? Well, in the church, a Hellenist was a Jew who had adopted the Greek language and culture and customs. So while they shared a heritage and religion from, from, from the Jews, they were very different. And the complaint was from the Hellenists to the Hebrews. We read that there is a daily distribution. You see this in, in the first opening chapters of Acts where those with, with resources would give to the church and distribute to those in need. And this became a daily distribution, meeting the needs of others. And for some reason, the Hellenist widows were being neglected. They were being overlooked. They were being unnoticed. And it seems like their identity as Hellenists had something to do with it. It wasn't just some of the widows were being neglected. No, it was the Hellenist widows. And it was a complaint that arose from the Hellenists toward the Hebrews for overlooking these widows. So this is a problem. Not only is it a problem because it's inconsistent with what the church is called to be, but it's also actually very threatening to the very unity of the church at a time of great growth in the church. And so the church appoints men to this duty, we read in verse 3. And these men are of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, and these were exemplary servants. And in this passage, we see what they do. I want to note at the beginning that the appointment of these deacons was not the apostles saying, we can't be bothered by less important things like serving. It was the apostles saying, service is so important that we must appoint men to this task because we've been appointed to this task. In fact, this, the problem was so great that the apostles were faced with either we preach the word or we serve tables. The, the, the problem was so great that they couldn't do both. And so because service is so important, they emphasize and prioritize this. And so service is at the very core of the church. Remember what we said? All Christians in the church should be deacons, should be servants. Christ told his disciples, the greatest among you should be your servant. And so this passage is not downplaying serving others. In fact, it's elevating it. So what do we find the deacons doing? And, and we, as we go through these, I want you to be thinking, okay, as I consider who am I going to nominate for this office of deacon, who do I see accomplishing these roles? We see in our passage that, they, first of all, they prioritize the word of God. In verses 3 and verse 4, these seven men are appointed so that the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So in other words, by taking on the act of service and allowing the pastors to focus on spiritual leadership, deacons are actually elevating the priority of scripture in the life of the church. The deacon is saying to the pastor, I'll take care of this so that you can spend more time ministering to us the word of God. And only someone who prioritizes and greatly values the scripture would do such a thing. And so deacons actually prioritize and love the word of God. Secondly, deacons protect the pastor's purpose. This flows out of the first point. But look with me in verse 1. Right when the disciples are increasing, a complaint arose. 
And as a pastor, you never know what complaints will arise in a given week. And some of them require immediate attention. How does a pastor give sufficient attention to his spiritual leadership of the church and also addressing complaints that arise? Sometimes it does feel like, well, it's either this or it's this. And this is where the role of deacons is so important. Look with me in verse 2. The apostles say, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. So in other words, they're not downplaying the importance of serving tables, but they're saying, if we serve tables, we are going to have to give up the preaching of the word, and we can't do that. The magnitude of the need is so great, it would have dominated the apostles' time, and they would have had to forfeit the preaching of the word in order to serve these tables. You don't really know how many needs there are in a church until you step into the role of a pastor or a deacon. There are a lot of needs, and there are important needs that must be addressed, and that tension week to week between studying and prayer and meeting immediate needs is a real tension. I remember hearing growing up from pastors of small churches where they were the only pastor on staff and they described themselves as a jack of all trades. Perhaps you have similar experiences growing up, right? The pastor would preach every Sunday, but he would cut the grass, paint the building, do the bookkeeping, fix the church van, and everything else. And at the same time, trying to study and prepare to minister the Word of God that Sunday and give counsel to church members throughout the week. And as a result, you know what happens? Both the needs of the congregation and the ministry of the Word get underserved. Because the pastor is a human with limited time and energy. And so the deacon protects the pastor's purpose, but we should also remember that a deacon is a human with limited time and energy. And so we should have a clear understanding that a deacon's main job isn't to do favors, but is to help with the necessary tasks that would otherwise be placed on the pastor's shoulders and divert them from their God-given task. There are a lot of things you could ask your deacon to do, but you must remember that their main job description is to help with tasks that strengthen the church and prioritize the word. And while your deacon would most likely be willing to help with a favor, it is the job of the congregation to help deacons focus on their main task, just as deacons are to help pastors focus on their main task. For example, if there's a, someone with a need who is being neglected, doesn't have the physical capability or the financial capability to meet a need, should that be brought to a deacon? Absolutely it should. Does your shed need painted? You have a whole church family to ask for that, not just your deacon. In other words, as you ask yourself, if you have a need, ask yourself this, would this be something that I would otherwise be asking my pastor to do if I didn't have a deacon, right? I hope you're not gonna ask me to paint your shed. You probably don't want me to do that, okay? But the point being, the main job description of the, of the deacon isn't to offer free labor. It is to protect the pastor's purpose as and prioritize the word as they seek to grow and serve the church. So thirdly, we see that deacons preserve the unity of the church. We see this major problem in Acts chapter 6 that is threatening both the growth and unity of the church. The church is growing, and as churches grow, so do problems. 
and the lack of care for certain portions of the congregation threatens the health of the church. And you can imagine how easily this could fracture a church. But by appointing these deacons, unity is restored. These seven men step forward, take initiative, and solve the problem. And as a result, the deacons serving and the pastors preaching and leading, what we read at the end of our passage today, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied. And otherwise, in other words, crisis averted. You cannot have church unity and growth without good deacons. Why are deacons so effective at preserving unity? I see a couple of reasons. Number one, they're chosen by the congregation from among the congregation. These were not staff hires by the pastor. They were selected by the members, including the members who were being neglected. This is actually really interesting. Remember, the Hellenists are Jews who had adopted the Greek language and culture. Now look at the list of names in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, 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 Pumba, Pernus, <laughs> Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch. You know what's interesting about these names? These are Greek names. These deacons were Hellenists. So by being chosen from among the congregation, they are actually able to maintain unity of the congregation. If there's a church where a particular portion of the congregation is being underserved and neglected, and that's a fault of the church, and then, and then deacons are simply selected by the leadership or by the majority, what would most likely happen? You would have a group of deacons that do not represent that underserved portion of the church. But most importantly, the most important reason why these deacons preserve unity is look at their character. So look out for men of good repute. This means they were respected. Look out for men who are full of the spirit and wisdom. They loved Jesus. And they were wise men. People like this are unity builders. They bring people together around the gospel and serve like Jesus did. So deacons preserve the unity of the church. Fourthly, deacons provide for the needs of the people. And again, this should be obvious, but we don't want to overlook this. These deacons are exemplary servants, and they meet the needs of the congregation. Acts chapter 6, they're appointed to oversee and run the daily distributions so that no members were overlooked. They served tables. And again, the Greek word for served there is diakonos. They were serving. Now, I want to make one point very clear. The deacons are not the only ones serving. Remember what we said earlier, every Christian is a deacon. Everyone is serving each other. And if you only ask your deacon then they're the only ones serving. Deacons can be a great point of contact for making a need known. But we shouldn't view deacons as the only ones who meet that need. Right? If you're, if you're struggling with a need, your deacon is a great point of contact saying, hey, I have a need. And that deacon can ha actually help connect you with so many other people in the church who are eager and willing to serve. But we don't have the mindset that says, my deacon is the only one who can serve me. The whole church should be serving each other. A deacon is a servant, not a slave. And their priority is to meet genuine needs for those who are in need. And like I mentioned earlier, not to offer free labor for someone trying to save a few bucks on a plumber. 
Should a widow who is struggling financially and needs benevolence or needs help with a task she cannot do herself ask a deacon for help? Absolutely. But should someone who has plenty of money, plenty of capability, try to get their deacon to come fix a leaky faucet? No. Right? A deacon should prioritize the genuine, urgent needs in the church, and we shouldn't divert our deacons for the sake of convenience, right? And so as we consider who should be a deacon here at Faith Baptist Church of Palm Bay, we need to make sure we keep in mind the function and role of a deacon. That name that you have in mind right now, do they prioritize the word? Do they see the ministry of Scripture as the most important thing in the church? Do they pursue unity in the church? Does their character reflect that? Are they honorable men who love the Lord? And this leads us really into the qualifications of a deacon. And for this, we do want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It is your responsibility as a member of this church to nominate men who meet these qualifications. You know, when we were going through the pastoral transition, a heavy emphasis was made on the pastoral qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. And I believe an equally heavy emphasis should be made on the qualifications of a deacon in 1 Timothy 3. We must have qualified pastors, and we must have qualified deacons. Think about it. If we said, okay, we're going to pass out nominations, and you're going to vote on a pastor, how serious would you take that? I would expect, suspect you take that very seriously. But I think sometimes when we come to deacon, we're like, okay, hmm, who do I know? Um, Oh, maybe that guy will be good. I don't know. We'll find out. I'll put his name down. We'll see how he does, right? Is that how we would approach the nomination of a pastor? I don't think so. Should we approach it that way for a deacon? I don't think so. So we need to consider the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, for a deacon, and consider who in our congregation meets these qualifications. Starting in verse 8, we find that a deacon is to be a serious man. King James says he must be grave. Now, I don't want you looking for the guy with the best scowl, all right? <laughs> grave means serious. It means actually dignified and worthy of respect. So in other words, this man is trustworthy and self-controlled. He is dependable. If I were to ask you, who is someone in this church that you've come to greatly respect? Well, then take some time to consider whether or not that name you're thinking of could be a deacon. How do we see that they are serious men? Well, they're controlled in their conduct. They're dignified in their conduct. Do they gain respect by how they act? They're controlled in their speech. It says in verse 80, deacon must not be double-tongued. Double-tongued. In other words, they're sincere and in control of what they say. This is incredibly important for a deacon who is regularly dealing with the needs of church members. Is he sincere in his speech? A deacon is regularly interacting with members' weaknesses and shortcomings. Does he have the control over his tongue to refrain from, from gossip? As you consider who to nominate, consider their speech. If you hear them gossiping, if you hear them tearing other people down with their words, if you hear them speaking out of both sides of their mouth, do not nominate them for the office of deacon. They are to be controlled in their appetites. We see two qualifications here, not addicted to wine, and not greedy for dishonest gain. Why is it so important for a deacon to have control over his appetites? Because he's dealing with the meet, meeting the needs of others, not his own. 
You cannot trust a deacon who is greedy. You cannot trust a deacon who is struggling with addiction. This is what we mean by a serious man. Who in our congregation shows self-control in their speech and in their appetites? They're well-respected. Secondly, and I, tried to, I probably tried too hard to keep the parallelism here, but he is a gospel man. I almost said Bible man, but you, some of you might have started thinking of a really weird superhero from the 90s. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Don't look it up. Gospel man, all right? In verse 9, it says, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What's the mystery of the faith? Well, this is the faith of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ entrusted to the apostles and given to the church. A deacon must cling to this faith. In other words, a deacon must know the gospel. Deacons should be those who hold to this gospel. They cling to it. And while they're not required to be Bible experts or even expert teachers, they should cling to the gospel. Who in this church just has a love for the gospel? They must hold to this faith with a clear conscience. They are genuine in their knowledge of the truth. They have a love for the Lord that is obvious. As you consider who to nominate, I want you to think of men who are examples of the faith, that you can see their love of the gospel and have a genuine faith. Thirdly, a deacon is a serving man. Again, this should be obvious. But the emphasis here is that someone who is chosen to be a deacon should be someone who has already been serving. Look in verse 10. Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. I believe this not only uh, applies to the nomination process, but also just their given track record. Do not choose someone as a deacon who hasn't been tested first. Nominate those who have already proven themselves to be a serving person. They must prove themselves blameless. Are you convinced that the person you're nominating has proven themselves to be blameless and servant-minded. In other words, don't nominate someone you don't even know. Does this happen? It does. It's easy to write a name down based off of appearance. Who looks like they could be a good deacon? Don't write in your nomination the guy with the beard. All right? <laughs> Has that happened? It may or may not have happened. Now, I know sometimes you draw a blank on a name. I do that all the time. You know who that is. You know him. And you can't, for some reason, it's the worst time to forget a name, right? And it's the best you can do. I get that. But make sure you're not just nominating based off appearance. If you don't know them well enough to know their name, you probably don't know them well enough to be convinced that they should be a deacon. Let them be tested first. And then fourthly, a deacon should be a family man. Verse 11 and 12 talks about his relationship to his wife, his relationship to his kids. Now this is not a require. the focus is more on character than on simply marital status or whether or not you have kids. This is not saying that a widower is, divorced, is, is, is disqualified. As with all other qualifications, it's talking about character. But what it's saying is the best way to judge a man's character is to look at his home life. This applies for pastors as well. You consider who, as a pastor, who can lead well? Scripture tells you you need to look at their family. And it's the same with the deacon. Who can serve the church? Look at their family. Are they serving their family? And if they're not serving their family, they won't serve the church. 
If he's still married, he must be a loving and faithful husband. Husband of one wife means a one-woman man. Is he faithful? If he still has children in the home, he must be an example of loving leadership to his kids. If a man is not loving and faithful to his wife and kids, he must not be a deacon, and neither should a pastor. If you want to know how a man will serve the church, just observe how he serves his family. And so as you nominate, consider who to nominate, don't overlook their family life. As best you can tell, and obviously your perspective is limited, if they have a family in the home, are they leading their family well? These are the qualifications of a deacon. And you are called as a member of this body of believers to select individuals from among the congregation who meets these qualifications. And so I encourage you to approach this carefully and prayerfully. This is a heavy responsibility. But if we all approach it prayerfully, the deacons become a vital and indispensable part of the church. And we are blessed to have some wonderful deacons. And I know so many of you can give testimony of how your deacon has been such a blessing to you. And in fact, our passage in 1 Timothy ends with those who are serving well are blessed. As a side note, have you said thank you to your deacon? Have you shown them a, 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 sent them a letter of encouragement saying thank you for serving me? Have you blessed them in that way? And so next Sunday evening, we'll be receiving nominations. And I ask that you take this week to pray about it. Look through our church directory, right? If you need to, if you need to jog your, your memory on, 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 on who is in our church, it has to be a member. That goes without saying, but make sure it's a member. And compare the names that you have in mind to the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. And again, like I mentioned earlier, imagine if you're considering names to fill a pastoral role here. You would approach that really carefully. And I want you to approach this process just as seriously. Because the Bible gives no indication that the selection of a deacon should be less serious than the selection of a pastor. And by God's grace and God's guidance, we can select and nominate and choose deacons who will serve this church well as we all seek to serve this church together. And by his grace, he can guide us as we approach this task before us. So next Sunday night, Again, we encourage, if you're able to, to come and to be here for that nomination process. If you want to know, well, who's our current list of deacons so you know, not, you know who you shouldn't put down because they're already either they're already on there or they're rotating off, go to our website on our, the, the page for our team. There's a list of all the deacons. There's actually a sign right out in the hallway with a list of all the deacons' names on there. Make sure you look at that. Make sure you don't put a name on the list who's already a deacon. And then read 1 Timothy 3 8 through 13, again and again and again, and consider who in our church fits these qualifications. And again, verse 13, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, it's interesting, this verse is not at the end of the portion about a pastor. It's almost as if there's a special emphasis on serving. There's, there's a special place in Christ's heart for those who serve selflessly. And we need to place honor on that as well. We read in Romans chapter 12, we should outdo one another in showing honor. We should honor our deacons. We should be thankful for our deacons and encourage them along as they serve our congregation well. So pray for that this week. 
and, and ask God to guide you as we look ahead to that nomination process next week. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for those you have placed in our church who serve you and one another well. Lord, I pray that you would guide us as a church family uh, to, to think of and nominate those who, who best reflect these qualifications, um, that your church might grow, that, that our service for you might increase, and that we might give you the glory in that. We thank you so much for the deacons that you have placed in this church and their service for the members here. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them for that. We thank you so much for what you're going to do.